How many of you are members of Sam's Club? Yeah, there's a lot. Me too. I mean, where else can, it's a great store. Where else can you get like a box of 96 jars of giant pickles? And uh, Hey, Sarah and I, we've been married 12 years this December. And when we were first married, I decided we're going to join Sam's Club. Now, the thing you need to realize about that, that's not pr- probably a, a really great statement. But what you need to know is I thought Sam's was a pretty prestigious club. I thought, I thought it was like a country club of sorts. And so in my mind, what I was going to do is I was going to fill out the paperwork. I would leave it with them. They'd check my references, and they'd get back to me on whether they would accept me or not a few weeks later. And so to my surprise, I went after work one night to Sam's Club, and I filled out the paperwork, and I gave it to them, and it took about two minutes for them to take my money and accept me into the club. And I thought, I must be that good to get into Sam's that quick. I mean, there's something special going on here. So I went home, and in my pride, I said to Sarah, hey, Sarah, we're members of Sam's Club. And you know they don't let anybody join that club, right? And Sarah looks at me, and she goes, "Uh, hey, dude. Um, We called each other dude sometimes. She says, hey, dude, um, you know they let anybody join that club that wants to give them 35 bucks, right? Popped my bubble. (laughs) And we talked about that this week, just remembering some some old times, and what I thought about as I thought about joining Sam's Club is that if any of you are familiar, you go to a club, or or anything for that matter, it doesn't have to be Sam's Club, it could be a gym or, or anywhere, and you get this sheet of paper, and it has some rules, and it explains the club to you, and then there's a box at the bottom that says, I acknowledge what I've read and what I'm joining. I acknowledge it. And then, and only then, after you sign the acknowledgement, are you given a sheet that says, here are the benefits of the club. Here are all the benefits that come with membership. And it's for everybody. Today, we're going to look at a very familiar psalm. It's actually the most undisputed, most famous psalm out of 150 psalms. Some would make the case that it's the most uh, familiar chapter in the entire Bible. And as I studied this psalm, here's where Sam's comes back in. So as I studied this, I realized the first verse, it's just an acknowledgement. It is, it is such an important acknowledgement. And then the rest of the psalm goes on to talk about the benefits of the acknowledgement. So my prayer today is that we'll see together that this acknowledgement in verse 1 is the most important acknowledgement we'll ever make in our lives. And that we'll learn together the benefits that come with that acknowledgement. Man, they can lead to an awakening. A life better than we ever thought possible. And I don't know anybody in this room who wouldn't want a life that is better than you could even think possible. So that is my prayer for today. We're going to dig in to the 23rd Psalm and see what the Lord wants to show us. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to open it to the 23rd Psalm. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are red Bibles in the seat back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. That is our gift. We want everybody to have God's Word. To find the Psalms, here's just an easy way to do it. Maybe just open your Bible to the halfway point. For some of you, you'll fall into the Psalms there. For some others, you'll have to flip back to the left just a little bit. But it's almost in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 23. And as we begin, would you read with me on 
your notes the first gray box, the acknowledgement this morning. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. This opening verse is so, so important because it's the verse that sets the table for the rest of the psalm. Like I said, it, it, it's the acknowledgement that leads to the benefits. So we're going to spend a good amount of time just looking at this one verse this morning because we have to get it right before we can understand the lavish benefits. And what I want to do is we look at verse 1 together. I want to talk about three words or ideas that we need to understand. And the first word, if you're looking at your notes, is Lord. Lord is the first word. By definition, it means one having power and authority to whom obedience is due. And in the Bible, this is our belief, God is very clear that he is the Lord over everything. You'll notice in your Bible, I'm going to guess that most of you in your Bibles this morning, it's a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. That word is used over 6,800 times in the Old Testament, and it has a special significance to it. If you're following in your notes, it, it is the unique name given to God in the Old Testament. It is the special, unique name given to God. In Exodus 3, verse 6, Moses is out shepherding his sheep, and he comes across a bush that's on fire, and it's not burning up. So he goes over to see what's going on, and God says these words from the bush. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then before their conversation ends around the burning bush, Moses said, but give me a name. Give me a name. Who should I tell them sent me? He had to go talk to Pharaoh to free the Israelites. And God says this to Moses in Exodus 3, verse 14. He says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. The Hebrew, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, the word for Lord is literally, I am who I am. And like I said, most of our Bibles have the capital L-O-R-D. And what we do sometimes is we, we think of this more as a title, right? He is the Lord. And we lose the special significance that this is the name of God translated by Jewish people for centuries and centuries as Yahweh. This is the special, unique name of the Lord. And when we come to the New Testament, we see that Lord, the exact same word, I am, is the special name given to Jesus. In John chapter 8, we studied this in June in the Gospel of John series. The religious leaders were disputing who Jesus was. And Jesus says this to them in John chapter 8, verse 58. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, who did he say he is? I am. It's inevitably what got Jesus killed. Some people claim Jesus never claimed deity, that he was God. That's absolutely wrong. Many, many, many times he said, I am, I am, I am. In fact, the entire New Testament points to Jesus as Lord. There are certain words that we find in the New Testament 
that describe who Jesus is. Christ, Savior, Son of God, Son of Man, Prophet, King, Rabbi, Emmanuel. None of those is used more than Lord. And maybe no place in the New Testament is as clear about Jesus being Lord than Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. It's some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It says on the screen, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Read this with me. This is beautiful. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you see what name was given to Jesus? What was it? It's Lord. It is the name given to Jesus. And if you're following along in your notes, Lord is the name given to Jesus that is above every name. It's the name given to Jesus that is above every name. Jesus claimed what I'm about to say, and the entire Bible attests to it. If you're following in your notes, Jesus is Lord over everything, including you and me. He is Lord over everything, including you and me. We sometimes say this. I've accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. And while there's a grain of truth to that statement, it misses the point of our faith. It misses the point of Christianity. We don't decide to make Jesus Lord. He's Lord regardless of what we think or decide. He died on a cross, rose from the grave, and was exalted to the right hand of God where he is right now ruling and reigning over everything regardless of what we think about it. And what this means, listen, this may be all that you take today. Every person sitting in this room, everybody, without exception, there is a day where you will bow your knee and your tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the question you need to answer is, will you do that now or will you do it when it's too late? He is the Lord and every knee will bow, and every tongue confess. First and foremost, to receive the benefits of this psalm, we need to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. The second word or idea we need to look at, my shepherd, if you're following along in your notes, my shepherd. And this psalm is so personal. There's no we or us or they. It's all me and my and I. It is a personal psalm. And David could have used any number of metaphors, but he wrote this psalm using imagery from his own life. He was a shepherd. He tended sheep. And in David's day, there was a unique relationship between the sheep and the one who watched over them. The, the shepherd was responsible for leading, guiding, protecting, nourishing, knowing, and caring for the sheep 24 hours a day, 
seven days a week. David claimed that the Lord was his shepherd. We live on the other side of the cross on which Jesus died. And in the New Testament, we're told, if you're following on your notes, that Jesus is the good, the great, and the chief shepherd. Jesus is the good, the great, and the chief shepherd. And right below that on your notes, if Jesus is the shepherd, that makes us sheep. If he's the shepherd, that makes us sheep. Pastor Steve gave a a terrific message just a few weeks ago about this relationship between shepherd and sheep, and he told us in that message, here's some characteristics of sheep. He said, they're helpless, they're vulnerable, they're followers, they're dependent, and they can be stubborn. I can't imagine why this ancient text uses this metaphor for human behavior. We need a shepherd because we're just like sheep. We're helpless, we're vulnerable, we're dependent. Man, can we be stubborn. And as we look at this first verse, I need to ask you, and I need to ask myself, do I know the Lord as my shepherd? Have you acknowledged that Jesus can lead you, guide you, protect you, nourish you, care for you, and he knows you better than anyone else, including yourself? Lord and shepherd go hand in hand. You can't call him Lord and not allow him to be your shepherd. It doesn't work that way. Have you acknowledged that you are a sheep that has gone astray? You are helpless and unable to save yourself. Here's a quick test. Here's a quick test to tell if you've acknowledged that the Lord is your shepherd. In John 10, in the message Steve gave, Jesus said these words, My sheep know and listen to my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. So here's the first question on the test to tell whether the Lord is your shepherd. Do you know his voice? Do you know his voice? Does God speak to you through his word? When you sit down to read his word, or when you hear truth proclaimed from this stage, is there a quickening in your heart? Is there something going on in your life that you want to follow him more because there's an urgency and a pointedness in your spirit? If you know what I'm talking about, you know his voice. And if you're sitting there this morning saying, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, Brian, you probably don't know him as your shepherd. The second way to tell, do you follow and obey him? I mean, it's really that simple. Do you follow and obey him. Either you are or you aren't. And I'm not talking about perfection. I mean, goodness, King David, who wrote this psalm, was an adulterer and a murderer, but we're told he had a heart after God. I'm talking about when you stumble and when you fall and in the rhythm of everyday life, do you get back up and you seek to follow the Lord? Is your life life showing in increasing measure the fruit of the Spirit? More love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you long to follow what God's word says or do you find yourself not caring what his word says or do you find yourself saying something like, well, I know what his word says, but. If you can't answer yes to those two things, you may not know Jesus as your shepherd. 
And if you don't know him as your shepherd this morning, you can't know him as your Lord. But maybe, just maybe this is the day that everything can change. Maybe this is the day where you'll say, the Lord is my shepherd. And I get so passionate about this because I live this. For 24 years of my life, I knew about Jesus. I didn't know, I just didn't know Jesus as my shepherd. And I went down paths that led to barren grass. I went down paths that led to polluted, sick water. And I made a mess of my life. And what I determined is left to myself, nothing goes well. And it's when I cried out, God, I need you to lead me because I can't lead myself. I'm not smart enough or good enough to do it. That's when I was gloriously saved by Jesus and what he did. I've lived it, friends. There is a better way to live, and it's by acknowledging that the Lord is my shepherd. He knows better than me. The third and last word or idea that we need to understand before we get to all the benefits is the word want. Want. If you're following on your notes, Here's what want isn't. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity and happiness. We've been taught that by society. We've even been taught that by some churches. It does not mean those things. Here's what want means if you're following in your notes. I shall not want another shepherd. I shall not want another shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And while my life has not been perfect, he has never failed me. Even in the midst of my stupid decisions that took me on paths Far from him, he was with me, and he never stopped pursuing me. And though I've been disappointed and had many difficulties, he's kept his promises, he's good, and he is faithful. I shall not want another shepherd. David's choice of words is interesting here. Shall is in the future tense. David is saying, there is a day coming, and I want to work towards it, when I don't want anything more than to be in a relationship with Jesus. For him it was the Lord, for for us it's Jesus. What a great goal to have for your life. To come to the place in life where you are so satisfied in God and your identity in him alone that you don't crave or desire anything more than him. None of us are there yet. I don't know that we'll ever get there this side of heaven, but do we long for that? Can we acknowledge that we long to be in that type of relationship with the Lord where he's our first desire? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want another shepherd because he provides everything I need. And the rest of the psalm is going to tell us the benefits of what the shepherd provides. But that's the acknowledgement. We've got to get that right. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. The first benefit is listed in the second gray box on your notes. Would you read that with me? It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. David continues this shepherd imagery, and he mentions two environments. I love this. Two environments that are conditions that are the most optimal for sheep to have their needs met and to be refreshed and restored. The first is green pastures. The Hebrew for green pastures means tender grass. It's the nutrient-rich grass. In sheep terms, it's the best grass has to offer. 
It's rich, lush feeding places that the sheep never have to move from to be satisfied. And the second condition for sheep to be renewed and refreshed and restored is that they are led to still waters. I didn't know this until studying for this passage this week, that sheep, sheep don't drink from moving water very often. They need still water. They're actually very frightened of moving water. And we're told the shepherd leads the sheep to still waters because he knows that's where they can drink. And he knows that's where they're restored, and he, know, he knows they can't do it on their own. And so I thought maybe a, a couple sound effects would help us picture this psalm and what David's saying and how to apply it to our lives. So the first sound as we think about still waters is um, the sound of a fast-running stream. second sound is the sound of a river. The third sound is the sound of still water. There's not a lot of that in life, is there? Shallow waters are fast and noisy. Still waters run deep. And in this fast-paced world, we need to rest, and it's only when we slow down that our souls can be restored, and we're told that it's only by the shepherd, by Jesus, that our souls are restored and replenished. The, the word for soul literally means breath. And it's the word used to describe who we are. It's our essence. There's more to us than just the physical, right? And the term used for the non-physical, who we are, our being, our lives, it's soul. And have you ever come to the end of a day or a week or a month, maybe even a year, and there's something going on in your life, and it is so much more than physical tiredness? I mean, you're depleted. You are run down. You don't have any energy. That is a soul that needs restored. Here's a couple examples for you just from my life. I know I need my soul restored when little things put me over the edge. Why was I so upset about that? I need my soul restored when I can't get to sleep and I can't get up. I can't turn off the day and I'm fearful of a new one. I need my soul restored when my plate is too full and my heart is too empty. I need my soul restored when I'm too busy to read the Bible or spend time praying. I need my soul restored when I know something is wrong and I have no self-control to stop myself from doing it. And we try to restore our souls in so many ways. Shopping, traveling, sports, clubs. But we're told in this psalm that the shepherd is the one who restores our souls. And what that means is getting away, being in green pastures and still waters, and spending time with God. We need to find time, like Pastor Jeff talked about two weeks ago when he taught on Psalm 1, where we simply be with God and meditate on his word. 
It's what Jeff and Annie talked about last week when we dwell in the shadow of the Most High. I've just been, I'm living here. This, this is what I've needed to take from this psalm this week. I am depleted, I'm tired, and I need my soul restored. And this Friday, in the midst of a, a busy week preparing for this message and some other things, I, I went out by Lake Springfield and I just sat there for three hours. And I read God's word and I listened to some messages and I took a walk. And I, I just sat with God. And, and maybe some of you need that. Maybe you just need to be with him. And, and so there's a lot of young families in this room, and, and the question I always ask is, that is really great, but I have little kids. How do you expect me to find time to go do that? I don't know. Just do it. I don't know what it looks like. But it may take rearranging your schedule. It may take rearranging your life to make the main thing the main thing. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The first benefit is the shepherd is the one who provides rest and restores our souls. Benefit number two, if you're following in your notes, he guides us in paths that produce righteousness. He guides us in paths that produce righteousness. Verse 23 states, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And, and right above path on your notes, it might be helpful to write these words, life direction. Life direction. The word translated in the Bible most of the time is way, and it means the path that we walk or life direction. And David is here using shepherd language to make a point about the Lord. And it helps to understand the paths that sheep take. It'll, it'll help us Get clear on what paths are righteous versus what aren't. Sheep easily wander away down paths that they don't know where they lead. They can leave a good shepherd who has brought them to the best grazing lands near an abundant supply of water, and they will still wander away to fields that are barren and the water undrinkable. Sheep are creatures of habit doing the same thing and taking the same paths over and over. Sheep don't often make rational decisions. They simply follow what other sheep are doing, and if one sheep heads down a bad path, many others follow. That hits a little close to home. Life has many paths, and we can choose many courses and directions, and many times we choose the wrong one. I think a lot of times why we choose the wrong one is, let's be honest, sin is fun. It's just fun. It has immediate, temporary, and fleeting satisfaction, and many, many times we choose the wrong path. Can I make one comment here, just as an aside? Maybe we can covenant to do this together. Many times, I've done this, and I've heard other people do it. We take the path that isn't righteous, and then we say this, God, why did you allow that to happen in my life? So here's the covenant to make with one another. Let's not blame God for our bad decisions. It's not his fault. We have to suffer consequences to our bad decisions. It's not God's fault. This psalm tells us that the shepherd guides us into right paths that produce righteousness. Paths it's a, can lead to a life that produces joy and rest and peace and blessing. And so if the shepherd's able to do that, what I want to know is how does he do that? How does he lead us in these paths? And I think there's three tools for the path. 
And if you're following on your notes, the first tool for the path is God's word. It's God's word. We say this over and over and over here. Get in the Bible. Get in God's word on a daily basis. Psalm 19, 105 on the screen says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is never, never, never going to have you do anything that is contrary to it. Never. The second tool for the path, if you're following in your notes, godly counsel. Godly counsel. Proverbs 12, 15. It's on the screen as well. It says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Before making a decision, go to God's word and then go find somebody who has acknowledged the Lord is my shepherd and ask them what they think about that. Their advice, if they're following Jesus Christ, will never be contrary to God's word. It will never be contrary to God's word. And these people will have wisdom that, for life that you, you may not have yet. Godly counsel can help us get on the right path. And the third, if you're following in your notes, the tool for the path, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. John 16 tells us that one of the reasons the Holy Spirit was given to us is to guide us into all truth. When we are followers of Jesus, the moment we become followers of Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to guide us. He guides us into all truth. And Philippians 2.13 says, For God through the Holy Spirit, is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. Jeff calls this across the ticker of your mind. It might be a prompting in your heart, a, an overwhelming feeling that lines up with God's word. The Holy Spirit will never contradict God's word. The Holy Spirit uses God's word and he uses wise people to put us on the right path. And I need to give one word of caution. Paths of righteousness does not mean the easy path. Sometimes it could be the most difficult. Sometimes we pray for an easier path and we should be praying for stronger shoes. I say the same prayer for my boys every night before they go to bed. We'll, we'll read a story and then we'll read the Bible and we'll pray a few different things, whatever they want to pray. And then I pray these words. I say, God, would you teach Benjamin and Caleb to know the difference between right and wrong and be willing to do what's right even when it's difficult to do what's right. To know the difference between right and wrong and to do what's right even when it's difficult to do what's right. And, and there's such a practical application to this. We can, and my boys can, save ourselves tons of guilt, shame, and consequences of bad decisions by acknowledging the Lord as our shepherd, to, by going to God's word, by listening to wise counsel, by paying attention to the Holy Spirit. We can avoid so much pain and frustration that we bring on ourselves. Just a really practical application. Life can be better. It can be better. Because the shepherd leads us in paths that produce righteousness. Benefit number three, if you're following in your notes, he provides presence. Presence as in he's with us, not like Christmas presents. 
his presence. Verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we're told when, when we're in the valley, when life is at its darkest, its lowest points, we don't need to fear because the shepherd is with us. It's the most common command given in God's word. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. And it's often followed by the words, for I am with you. John Wesley was a, a pastor that lived in England in the 1700s. He said, other than the cross of Jesus Christ, this is the best news in the whole Bible. God is with me. And this morning, we need to know that no matter where we are, if we acknowledge the Lord as our shepherd, no matter where we go, what we're experiencing, when we lie down, when we get up, when we're driving, when we're parenting, when we're in the emergency room, when we're in the chemotherapy room, in the loss of a child, in the depression, in the middle of a divorce, God is with you. He is with you. You don't need to fear. I wish we had more time to talk about this, but David lists two shepherd's tools as a further illustration to show how God is with us, a, a rod and a staff. Just know that those are symbols of protection and guidance. And it's not just that God is with us in the valley. He is actively protecting and guiding and comforting us. When we acknowledge that the Lord is our shepherd, we receive the benefit of his presence. Many times when we do hospital calls, what we hear is, I know he's with me. I, I can tell he's with me. I know you're praying for me because I can feel his presence. And it's one of the benefits of acknowledging the Lord as our shepherd. It's an amazing benefit. The fourth benefit, if you're following on your notes, he provides us with contentment. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And it's at this point in the psalm where the metaphor transitions from just a shepherd to that of a dinner host. And it helps to understand the responsibilities of being a host of a party in the Bible. Today, when, when my life group gets together, it's potluck. I mean, we all bring something just makes it easier. But not so in times of the Bible. The host provided everything for the party. And they were also expected to protect their guests at all costs, even if enemies were present at the same party. And what is provided here by the Lord is described in terms of a first-class host. He uses oil on his guests, which, which helps people feel refreshed. They would use oil for refreshment and soothing qualities. And the cup that's offered, it's not the cup from a stingy host. It's overflowing. And this, this verse 5 goes directly back to the statement in verse 1, I shall not want. When we realize the shepherd gives us the benefits of restoring our souls, guidance in our decisions, and his presence, we can say, I shall not want. 
This is part of the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10 when he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The abundant life is an abiding contentment that comes from a relationship with Jesus. That is the abundant life. But we look for contentment in so many places today. So many places. And we're told that true contentment only comes from a relationship with the shepherd. 1,600 years ago, a pastor named Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The shepherd provides us with contentment. And David comes to the end of the psalm, and he ends with these words in verse 6. If you're following in your Bibles, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Benefit number five. If you're following in your notes, he provides a future. Through this whole psalm, we've seen the benefits of a relationship with the shepherd here and now. But David didn't end the psalm talking about the here and now. He extends the benefits of the acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord to include the future. And I need to tell you, the, uh, the abundance that we'll experience in heaven is vastly superior to any abundance we'll experience here on earth. Vastly superior. And that's why David, the pinnacle of his life, was dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. He could look forward to that because he knew how much better it would be. Jesus made a promise to his disciples in John chapter 14, and it's the same promise that we get today if we're a follower of Jesus. He said, I am going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And the same John who recorded those words in his gospel, he got a glimpse of heaven and he recorded what he saw in the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. And I want to leave you with a description of our future. In chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, Jesus is talking here to those who have acknowledged the Lord as their shepherd. And he says, therefore, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Would you read this with me? For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The shepherd provides us with a future that none of us can comprehend right now. It'll be better than anything we can imagine. And that's because we'll be in the presence of the shepherd physically. And so after hearing the acknowledgement, the most important acknowledgement we can ever make, and then hearing the benefits that come with that acknowledgement, the question we need to ask ourselves, the last line of your notes says, have you acknowledged the Lord is my shepherd? And are you experiencing the benefits? Have you acknowledged that the Lord is my shepherd and are you experiencing the benefits? A 
And as you put your notes away, I, I just want to talk to a couple different groups of people here this morning. The first group, you, you don't know the Lord as your shepherd. You, you don't know him. Maybe your shepherd is acceptance or materialism or performance or achievement. Maybe you're your own shepherd. I want to give you a warning this morning so at least you hear this before you leave. Life is not going to go well for you. You may be doing okay now and for most of your life it may go splendid. But your soul will never be fully restored. You will not be led in paths of good decision making. God's presence is not with you. You will never be truly content. And life is not going to end well. Instead of the picture we just read about in Revelation chapter 7, we're told in Revelation chapter 14, for those who do not acknowledge Jesus as Lord, these are the words. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. It's not going to end well. But the encouragement that I can give you today is today could be the day where you could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want to lead myself anymore. And you need to know there's nothing you've done in your life that removes you too far from the love of God. If you wonder, if you're sitting here and you're wondering if Jesus Christ can love somebody like you, just look at the cross. He does. Today can be the day where you could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want another shepherd. And everything can change. There are those of you here who you've acknowledged the Lord as your shepherd, but you struggle to experience some of the benefits. Some of you, you just need rest. You need your soul restored. You need to lie down in green pastures. You need to be beside still waters. You need to stop striving and trying and working so hard. And you just need to spend time with Jesus. It might take rearranging your schedule, rearranging your life. I'm in that group this morning. This is where I'm living right now. I need to carve out time to make the main thing the main thing. But you might be here this morning and you just need your soul restored. I think there's some people here this morning, right now, you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, perhaps in ways you never expected you would. A series of circumstances, a series of events have culminated, and you are walking through the valley, and you feel alone, and you feel afraid. And you need to be reminded that God is with you. He is for you, and he is with you. There might be somebody here who you have been looking for contentment everywhere but the shepherd. Maybe you're spending money so you can have the next best thing because it provides contentment. Maybe it's an addiction you're battling to alcohol or drugs. Maybe it's an addiction to sex. But you need to hear this morning, you will only find true contentment in this life when you remember what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for you and that your identity lies in him and him alone. And there are 
other people here, something's going on in your heart that I didn't even bring up, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And so in this busy world, we don't often get time to slow down, as Chuck said at the beginning of the service. We're going to want to give you a gift of the next five to eight minutes where we just get to be with the Lord. And Michelle's going to keep playing the piano, and then the team's actually going to come in and sing the words to Psalm 23. And I want to invite any elders or pastors or ladies from the women's prayer team down front. We're going to be standing up front while the music is playing. If you want to come forward and pray, we want this to be an altar where people can cry out to God who need him. If this is the day that the Lord has become your shepherd, we, we want to celebrate with you. We just want to pray with you as you're walking through something. It can be a little intimidating or frightening. Let me level the playing field for us all sitting in this room. We're all sheep and we're all messed up and we all need a shepherd. And so we'll be down front as the music plays. You may even want to start writing out a psalm like Pastor Steve did. But we just ask you to reflect on the acknowledgement and the benefits that come with it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The acknowledgement and the benefits. Leave this morning knowing that the Lord will be our shepherd if we ask him and it comes with extravagant benefits. Thankful you were here today. We're going to stay up front to remain praying for people. If that was a bit intimidating or you just didn't feel comfortable or it wasn't time, that's fine. But we'll stay here to pray for you if you need prayer. When you leave, if you want to take a bag under your seat to fill up the food pantries in Springfield, take that with you. But go in God's grace, in God's love, in God's power. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.